Hey, what's up everyone? Henry here at Disruptive Money Management. And today I'm going to talk about where to get started once you've made that decision that you want to invest. This is a great episode on how to best direct your funds across the various investment vehicles available. So if you're just starting out, this would be a great intro for you. And for those that are already investing, this could also be a good time to stop and check to make sure you're investing in the way that impacts your financial plan the most. I get this usually at least once a week from someone who has either been listening in to the podcast, reading the blog, or having just attended one of my past educational classes. I want to start by saying that investing is important because investing is what allows us to build a financial future. Building money in a savings account does not allow for long-term growth. In order to truly achieve financial independence and build wealth, we need to invest. But there's a catch. Investing should not start until all other areas of healthy financial habits are created. What do I mean by that? Well, I've discussed in the past that I always recommend that individuals do not start investing until they have already done the following two items. Eliminated high interest credit card debt and have set aside emergency funds in a savings account. These criteria are simple and easy enough to understand. An individual should make sure that their high interest loans, such as their credit cards, are completely paid off, and they ought to have an emergency rainy day fund set aside in the savings account before pursuing investing. Now, going back to if you have already completed two, those two things and you're like, hey, I am ready to take the next step, I want to invest, what do I do? This is for you. Some of you may already have access to a company-sponsored retirement plan, like a 401k. If you already have been contributing towards that and have been setting aside enough to at least maximize a match, you are already in a great place to bump that up. The 401k allows individuals to contribute up to 19500 for the calendar year 2020, and an additional 6500 if the person is over the age of 50. Again, if you're already at the match and you're ready to bump up your savings rate, the first thing you need to think about is actually what type of investment account you want to have. That's right. What type of investment account do you want to have? I said earlier I get starter questions like these all the time. They're either are, I'm ready to invest, where do I start, or I just opened up a Robinhood account, but I'm not sure what to do. It's interesting because my follow-on question usually is, what type of investment account is it? And the answer is usually perplexion. Look, I get it. We all, once we get to the more stable side of life, want to invest because we know we need to. But how we invest is actually just as important. For someone to start a taxable non-retirement qualified account before maxing out the 401k and Roth IRA is just silly. Before you rush out and just create a regular investment account, think first about what you're investing for and then think about your taxes. And I cannot emphasize this enough because, again, this is 2020 and the process of opening an investment account is extremely easy. Robinhood or Webull, for example, takes no more than five minutes to have an account created and funds transferred. If you're just investing for fun, okay, cool. But if you're investing for financial freedom and retirement, then you have to maximize your tax-qualified retirement accounts first. And after you have made the conclusion that you're investing for retirement, and again, retirement could be whenever you want. I have young clients targeting a retirement age in their 40s, 
while more traditional clients are targeting the usual age 67. Retirement age could even just mean that you have the financial means to quit your usual 9 to 5. We'll come back to retirement age later, but if the mentality to invest is for retirement, then you need to max fund your retirement accounts before you jump into a taxable investment account. So again, we have 19,005 or 26,000 depending on your age for the 401k plan that is tied to your employer. We also have 6,000 or 7,000 if you're over age 50 for the Roth IRA. That means for an individual that wants to max out the retirement vehicles available, the limit for this year is 25,500 or 33,000 if you're over age 50. That's a heck of a lot of money. For someone that's earning about 100,000 a year, that's a 25 to 33% going towards retirement savings. Now, at this point, you just have to decide, and let's just say someone who is in their 30s, as an example, if you're 35 years old and you want to invest for retirement, you have to determine how much you're comfortable with saving each year. I just said that the upper limit using the common vehicles is 25,005 for a 35-year-old investor. For this 35-year-old investor, if you have the financial means to save in excess of 25,500, well, good for you. And your easiest step is to max out your 401k and the Roth IRA. Any excess after that should then go into a regular brokerage account. Easy enough, right? For those that are investing under the limitation, using the same 35-year-old investor who wants to invest and is comfortable setting aside 20000 a year instead for retirement, you should be taking the following steps. Step one, you contribute to the 401k plan up to the maximum match amount. Step two is to open a Roth IRA, contribute to the annual maximum to that account. And in step three, you go back to investing the remainder in the 401k plan for pre-tax deductions. Using the above three steps, you're going to find that you're creating two different types of tax advantage retirement savings accounts, you'll end up using both the traditional and the Roth vehicle for diversification in terms of how you'll be taxed at a later time. Now, most 401k plans offer both a traditional and a Roth provision, which means you can directly save the majority of the full 20000 under your employer-sponsored retirement plan. For those that just want to hit the easy button and see everything come out of their paycheck, there is no problems with using both under the company plan if you are in that situation. Are there advantages in keeping a Roth IRA if the Roth is already available within your employer's plan? Well, yes, there are. Most employer-sponsored plans have a pre-selected investment selection, which usually comprises of 15 to 18 investment options. These range from your standard S&P 500 index fund to a list of various target date funds and other equity or bond options. 401k plans, for the most part, do not offer individual stocks. Now, there are exceptions to this. Some of the larger companies may elect for the brokerage window option, which allow plan participants to move money to an affiliated brokerage firm for additional investment selections. But not every company offers this capability. And even so, 
the option may only allow for additional mutual funds outside of the curated list of 15 to 18 options. Pairing a Roth IRA and using that as a complement to your existing 401k plan allows you to use individual stocks instead of just the existing mutual funds. We can go into a huge debate on whether mutual funds are the smarter choice or if a person is just better off investing in stocks, but we're not going to go into that today because that can be a very lengthy segment. And once we go down that rabbit hole, it's going to be impossible to come out of it quickly. As a financial advisor, I am a big advocate for pairing stocks with mutual funds to build a diversified portfolio, especially more so when it comes to pairing a Roth IRA with an individual's existing 401k plan. When we invest via a mutual fund, it is easy enough to understand. A mutual fund is essentially a giant basket of different stocks, and the mutual fund itself generally has a mission objective. Perhaps the mutual fund is designed to just mirror the S&P 500. Well, those are easy enough to understand and are super low cost in nature, but not all mutual funds are like that. You may have a mutual fund that is designed to pick across different sectors in hopes of outperforming the market, but those mutual funds can become very costly. Sometimes we're talking about expense ratios over 2%. Stocks, on the other hand, is just one company, which is why there's a higher risk to them as opposed to investing in a mutual fund. You get instant diversification in the mutual fund because there are multiple companies. But what happens if the companies are struggling financially, like what is happening now due to the coronavirus? When it comes to 401k investing, the most common investments in my experience as a 401k financial advisor are target date funds and S&P 500. I manage a lot of 401k plans and see a lot of 401k plans that I analyze for optimization. Majority of Americans save within what is known as a target date fund and S&P 500. The target date fund is just a simple one-click solution that puts your money into a predetermined fund that is age appropriate. And as you get older and closer towards age 67, it starts scaling back on risks. Target date funds, for the most part, have a very structured percentage allocation to domestic stocks, international stocks, domestic bonds, and international bonds. S&P 500 is easy enough to understand. It's the 500 largest companies in our country. The reason why those two selections are the most common in America today is because as 401k plans underwent stringent regulatory changes, more automated features needed to be added to reduce fiduciary liability. The target date funds were designed to eliminate the barrier to investing by creating a simple solution that is just based on an individual's age. The S&P 500, on the other hand, is just commonly used because it is simply the lowest cost investment option available. Going back to individual stock holding, I find that individual stocks are still very relevant in today's time. And although it may not provide broad diversification, it has an actuality outpaced the S&P 500 as a whole for the year 2020. Now, none of the following investments are recommendations because I don't know what your current investment objectives are or where you are in life. But these are used as an example, 
And these numbers are as of August 19, 2020. AMD year-to-date total return, 123.88%. Amazon year-to-date, 76.45%. Apple year-to-date, 58.50%. Google year-to-date, 16.16%. Facebook year-to-date, 27.81%. Microsoft year-to-date, 34.84%. NVIDIA year-to-date. 108.65%. These seven companies are not picked at random. And by the way, I need to disclose that I personally own stocks in each of those seven companies. Those seven companies that have seen tremendous growth year to date are all in the tech sector. But most importantly, they are all held within the S&P 500. That's right, folks. The S&P 500, which holds the 500 largest companies in the country, holds those seven companies. However, where does the S&P 500 stand year to date? 4.46%. The S&P 500 did 4.46% because even though it may have seven big home run winners in the portfolio, it is still only a very small portion. There are still 493 other stocks in the portfolio that have not done so well or are still in negative territory for the year. The point I'm getting at is this. In a market environment that is layered with huge uncertainty, both at the Wall Street and Main Street level, there are still winners in the stock market. And if you're only invested in the S&P 500 or a mutual fund that tries to wrap a lot of companies under one package, you may find that you are not taking advantage of a volatile environment and how it pertains to individual stocks. I'm gonna switch gears for a moment and do a comparison against target date funds. The simple, easy solution that is available in pretty much all 401k plans out there. And I'm just going to pick three of the major investment companies in, in the United States today. Your plan, of course, will, will vary with what target date options you have, but you can easily just log on and compare what your funds are doing if you want to follow along. With target date 2050 as an example, um, these are the options which are for those in their 30s and younger. Again, this is predominantly for those that are more growth-oriented. We have Vanguard 2050 with a year-to-date return of 2.64%. We have T. Rowe Price 2050 with a year-to-date return of 3.96%. And then we have BlackRock LifePath 2050 with a year-to-date return of negative 2.55. Again, severely lacking in performance in comparison to the seven stocks highlighted above. Now, here's where a lot of financial advisors will disagree and they'll say things like, well, you cannot compare a mutual fund like a target date fund or the S&P 500 fund to individual stocks. It's just not a fair comparison. And I have to disagree and tell you that yes, you can. A growth-oriented mutual fund, which is designed to grow your nest egg, by investing in growth-oriented companies is the same as cutting through the mutual fund and going straight to the company itself. 
true, you're not going to get instant diversification with seven companies. But during this type of market environment, why should you be holding the losers in a basket? Or here's another line that I like, which is mutual funds offer less risk because you're spreading your exposure out through many different companies. If one company doesn't perform well or goes bankrupt, you're not SOL. And for that, I will say they would be right if you're picking high-risk stocks like penny stocks or pharmaceutical stocks without a proven track record. But in comparison, I'm not using any of those. The likelihood that Amazon or Apple going bankrupt is extremely slim. I mean, literally, you're going to need some type of competitor that can completely disrupt their business model and take over their entire fan base, which you and I know is pretty dang impossible seeing how big they are. Now look, I'm not knocking these funds because they have poor performance in an extremely volatile and unprecedented market environment. It's bound to happen. Where I am getting at and the picture I'm trying to paint is that even as uncertain as a market may be and as tough of a time the S&P 500 may be having, we still have opportunities for growth. That is a point I'm trying to make. Man, wow. I think I completely went off tangent there. This episode was really supposed to highlight the tax advantage vehicles, but in the big picture of investing, it is impossible to not talk about underlying investments. It is critical that you, as an individual investor, and as someone that is working on the path of financial freedom, find those areas where you can still see growth, especially during markets such as the one we are experiencing. So just to recap, when it comes to investing and you're just starting out, the best place to start is your 401k if your company offers a match. If you're able to save in excess of the 401k match, you'll want to contribute the excess to a Roth IRA. If you're able to max out the Roth IRA and still have funds you want to save for retirement, you then kick up the percentage contribution on your 401k. If your company does not offer a match, then you start at the Roth IRA first. Max that bad boy out before you start contributing to the 401k plan. Roth IRAs have much lower fees and costs in comparison to a company 401k plan, which is why you want to start at the Roth IRA first. I often get asked what percentage people should be investing in order to get to retirement. The short answer is that it depends. It depends on how much you really are comfortable saving and when exactly retirement is. If you're 30 years old and you intend to work until 67, well, you have a long way to go and you don't necessarily need to save as aggressively. If you're 50 years old and you're just starting out on building your nest egg and you want to retire in 17 or 18 years, then you probably need to step it up a notch. The financial advisory industry has sort of adopted 10% of your annual income to be the number you need to be saving each and every year. However, like I said, all of the different factors like what I mentioned above needs to be addressed. 10% is kind of a benchmark, kind of use that as a guideline. All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode on where to start when you're ready to invest. If you have not already, please subscribe for future content notice. If you have any questions on financial matters, drop me a line via email or direct on social media. A lot of times I take the questions that are coming in from multiple places and that gives me an idea of what the general investor is interested in hearing about. 
Again, thanks for tuning in. As always, I wish you all a safe and productive week. This is Henry, and I own shares of AMD, Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and NVIDIA. The podcast reflects the opinions of the hosts. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of a security. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be the basis of any investment decision. Securities are offered through United Planners Financial Services, a member of FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice is offered through Juncture Wealth Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Juncture Wealth Advisors, LLC and United Planners are not affiliated.